Hey everybody, welcome back to the Satsung Podcast. Today we have the founder of Unlikely Heroes, Erica Greaves. Um, Erica is a pretty spectacular person and Unlikely Heroes is... um, Yeah, it just always leaves me speechless, the work that they do. So I'll just let you get into the podcast and, and listen to her talk about it. But it's an organization that we've been affiliated with and working with for... Just over five years, um, they're really near and dear to my heart, and I'm so happy to have Erica on the podcast and have them be our partner in releasing um, the next single coming together off our new record, Flowers from the Fray. So, without further ado, Erica. Hello, everybody. Today on the podcast, we have the founder and CEO of Unlikely Heroes, Erica Greaves, and... I'm super excited to talk to you. We've worked with you guys on a few different things over the past five years that started by us coming and playing um, a festival in in California. And we've just stayed in touch ever since. And I believe so deeply in the work that you do and I'm so inspired by it. Um, and yeah, you guys are my favorite organization that we work with because I just am pretty on fire about what you guys do. Um, so. If you could tell people a little bit about what Unlikely's Heroes is and does, and then, and really what I'm curious about is how it started, because it's just so crazy. Yeah, um, I, I would love to start with our name. So our name, Unlikely Heroes, is that the children that we recover from human trafficking, if they want to use their lives and their voices to stop human trafficking, that they would become the Unlikely Heroes that make a difference in the world. And I feel like it's one thing to hear about human trafficking from an adult or for someone from someone who has spent time learning the issue but when you hear a child tell you their story and what they've been through and how it's impacted them there's something that just at least makes me stop in my tracks um so i started on like the heroes i was getting my masters at uc berkeley in social work and i was um, interning at Oakland uh, at a children's hospital in the San Francisco Bay Area, and it was my job as this emergency department social worker to get the story of the children that had come in for any kind of abuse, physical, sexual, whatever. And kids were coming in the emergency department. This is before we were using the term human trafficking, mm-hmm. who had been sold on the streets of Oakland for sex. And this, I feel like it always starts with the one. There's always the one that just like impacts your heart and this little girl came in and she was 11 years old and she was cognitively delayed she looked more like she was like 16 years old but when as soon as you started talking to her you knew that um that she wasn't mentally capable of making decisions and her mom pulled me aside and said she was being trafficked by a 29 year old man who thought then she thought that was her boyfriend. And so I used the little girl's word. I said, how did you meet your boyfriend? She said, well, I was walking home from school one day and I saw a man staring at me. And then he started talking to me and then he became my boyfriend. And it was, he said, I love you. And it's the first time anyone had ever said, I love you. And then he said, now that we're in this, you're in, I love you and you love me. We're in this family. And this is how we make money in this family. And so we put her on the track and I said to her, what was it like? The track is the street they call where they've got sex workers of all ages, but also children. 
um, I said, what was the first, what, what was it like the first time? She's like 11. What was it like the first time you had to get into a car? Were you scared? And she said, well, um, my boyfriend, her trafficker said that he'd be, he'd be watching me. And she said, every time I looked over at him, he was staring at me. And so he watched me get into the car. And it was the first time that I'd seen and, and excuse me for my own naivete at that point, but really someone who had gone out to exploit someone who was that vulnerable, who an inner city youth who was cognitively delayed. And, and to think about someone hunting and looking for someone that they could exploit on that level just connected with me on such a visceral level that I was like, something has to be done to protect the most vulnerable in our society, children. And um, so that was really the birthplace of Unlikely Heroes. God, that is, wow, that is absolutely insane. Um, you know, I have a friend of mine, Tim Kennedy. Um, I know there's a lot of different task forces that are combating the same issue in different ways. Um, you know, there's a group of ex-military, like super elite special forces guys that obviously can't just go, you know, exterminate people like this, but they will gather these use all of their skills of recon and stuff like that, and then gather these case files and then go to local police and be like, here's the video, here's the here's everything that you would need, here's their daily schedules. Yeah. Um, and they combat it that way. Um, and I believe that they started doing that in, in Houston. How did you get, how did you move from, you know, having that visceral response in, in the Bay Area to now an international organization that's that's, doing it overseas. Yeah, so I was working with that little 11 year old girl and her mom. And I said to the mom, I said, I got the story. And so I said, don't worry, I'll come back and I'll have some resources. That's your job as a social worker is to, to bring people resources. So I went, I talked to my supervisor and I was like, well, where's the home? Where's the program I can send her to? Like, what are the options? And my supervisor said, there's nothing like that that exists. And so I had to go back to the mom and say, I'm sorry, there's nothing that I can do to help you and let this little 11 year old girl. Now this was 12, 15 years ago. Now there would be some options, not that many sadly, but some. And I had to say, there's nothing I can do to help you. And that left me feeling burdened. I didn't feel like I'd be, I don't think I'd start an organization to stop human trafficking. I didn't, I just felt like, extremely, I felt troubled. And I feel like those are the kind of feelings that we need to recognize because I feel like when we feel something that's so deep that we like resonate on that kind of level, I think it, it means that that's a place where our passion can ignite. Um, and when we really ignite our passion, I feel like that's when we can become unstoppable. And so I wanted to have homes in the United States at first, but it, is really hard to get homes open in the United States for a ton of reasons. And I was working with someone who was running an organization to get child soldiers out, which were boys. And the person said, uh, there's a home, there's a woman in the Philippines. She's gotten two girls out of brothels, children. And I think she could run a home. Would you consider opening your first home in the Philippines? And so I said, sure. And I didn't do a lot of research. I just said, sure, and jumped in. And all of a sudden I was on a plane 
um, on my way to the Philippines and they're surrounded by security men with AK-47s and we were going into a war zone and we were, that was 11, 11, 11. So 2011, we landed. And on that day we got 10 girls out of brothels and that was Saturday morning. And by Sunday night, girls were showing up at our doorstep saying, we heard there's somewhere for us to go. Can we live here? And that's how it started. And from there, we just started opening up more homes, partnering with other local organizations to do that as well. And then we opened up our USA home. And I am very proud of our USA home graduates. Um, one is pre-med with a 4.0. Another is that it went another top university and she's in the honors program. Another one's studying nursing and a couple are working full-time jobs. And it's like, it. The thing that I think like ignites my passion the most and keeps it going is that the children that are coming into our homes, we're dreaming for them to have dreams that are bigger than even dreams that I had for myself at that age. I, I feel like to just say, to just say they're out of a out of the brothel, they're out of the trafficking situation. That's a huge win. That is alone. A child not being abused for one day is a huge success. But then there's something about so many of these kids that they know that they were recovered from having to live a lifetime of pain. And that some of them are able to connect with the fact that, and there's more that they could do. And those are the ones that I have just seen run further, faster, harder than so many kids that were even raised in great homes. And I think that that's one of the most beautiful things is like the strength of the human spirit. That no matter where we're at today, if we start dreaming about a future for tomorrow, we can connect with that and we can start to build there. And I think that's a really beautiful thing about humanity, about people, is that we can change. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, coming up in a, in a background of, of abuse and, and poverty, I it's something that's not lost on me. And it's something I take a lot of pride in because I saw so many of the people that I grew up with kind of stay within those parameters of like, well, this is the hands that I was dealt. So I guess this is kind of where I, where I land. But it, you know, for me, it was having, I, I had an art teacher that just in high school that talked to me and treated me like a person, you know, these girls have you and these different things that you built. And like, I'm, I'm a big believer that circumstance can be so dark and terrible and it takes you know one encounter one light at the end of the tunnel and like you said most of them will sprint towards that light and say like oh my god i want a whole different <laughs> i want a whole different thing than this you know the thing to, that i always say you know every night when we're on tour um i talk about unlikely heroes because we have information about what you guys do at our merch booth um and and the thing that i always say to the to the crowd that is so special to me is that there's this um um i i want to say recidivism but that word is usually used in a negative connotation but yeah. this this idea of you guys save one girl yeah and that makes her go okay well now i have experience on both sides of this thing now i want to save girls and then she saves three girls and then two of those three girls go i want to save girls so it's this ever expanding fractal thing that's like to me that's the kind of work that's so beautiful and quantify or like unquantifiable right is this yeah. like um i feel like there's so many nonprofits and charities that are just like well we're gonna build this one thing and this is gonna help a hundred people 
rather than like, no, we have no idea. Like this could literally help a million human beings. We don't know. Um, yeah. um, I'm so, I'm so on fire on, uh, about that. To me, that is the coolest thing about what you guys do. How many, how many countries are you guys operating in right now? Well, at different times, we've had different projects and we've been in Ethiopia and Nigeria. Right now we're in the Philippines, Thailand, Mexico, and then we have USA initiatives and to your point, Drew. So like there was one girl I was with in the Philippines and she just graduated with her um, computer programming degree. And I said, now that you got your computer programming degree, which I just want to say, I could never get my computer program. Like I can't. Yeah, even, same. Like it's like there's no way. Like that already right there is so impressive. So what are you going to do now that you've got your degree? And she said, I'm going to put my brother and my sister through high school. And that's the biggest vulnerability for a child is that they don't have a high school education, so they can't really get a job, and that's how they end up in trafficking. And so exactly what you're saying, it's like you reach out to one and you have no idea that then, and she's inspired to get her degree, which then will inspire them to think, you know, that their lives could be even bigger than they imagined. And I feel like that's, it really is that example that inspires people. It's the story of hope and it is about the one it's stop. And I feel like we can all do that. Like there's these moments where like all, you know, and I know we all do this, but just to like remind ourselves sometimes is we could just be in an airport and see like someone who helped us and say, no, thank you for being kind. You were really kind. Thank you. Or like, if I'm, you know, working with a child, I can just notice some of the things that are different. You are so creative and I love your creativity and it makes you so genuine, like your, your creativity is so genuine and it's so unique about you. And we can all do that. And so often we forget that sometimes just those words of someone recognizing what makes one person special, one person different, um, can remind that person of this is a path I should go in. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I make it a, I try to make it a point when I travel to, to do those little things and like kind of keep a tally of like, if I see someone having a hard time of like, oh, cool, I'm gonna buy that dude's coffee. Just see if, just see if I can get him to crack a smile, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah no, I, I think that's so, so beautiful. So I, when, when I first started working with you guys, I, there was a, you guys have worked with some pretty big celebrities and had a lot of people um, step in to help. And I, I was just kind of wondering how that kind of unfolded, how you got your foot in the door to just kind of tell these people like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Because I, I think the thing that we forget um, as Americans, you know, I spent a, a fair amount of time in Nepal in my 20s. And it's hard for Americans to realize like, in a third world country, what $30 is, you know what I mean? That yeah. it's like, this is an insanely different amount of money to, yeah. to, to someone in the street, you know, where it's like when a meal is $2, you know, if you kick somebody 20 bucks, it's like, okay, cool. You just fed them for the week. Um, yeah. So how did you kind of get your foot in the door to, um, to, to work with these different celebrities and stuff like that in the, in the campaigns? Um, it was actually pretty organic. Um, I had moved to LA and I started on like the heroes and we put together our first event. I just gotten back from opening our first home in the Philippines and we put out a flyer and invited people to come and quite a few uh, publicists picked it up and started bringing their, you know, their talent, the people they were managing with them. 
And then when they got there, they said, well, where's the red carpet? You know, I was like, well, what red carpet? Like, you know, like, how are we doing this? And then a publicist came up and said, I want to, I throw events all the time and I start doing them for Unlikely Heroes. And I think that's how pretty much everything's happened with Unlikely Heroes. It's been very organic. People see that we're really reaching children. They see that children's lives are changing. And I feel like that is the heartbeat and the mission that people connect with. And I feel like there's something that a lot of people understand when they felt exploited. And whether that's exploited because they're famous and everyone wants a piece of them or everyone wants something from them, whether it's a selfie or um, for them to endorse a product, um, or if it's just someone who feels like they give and give and people don't give back to them. I think that we can understand on that like kind of human level that exploitation is something that can happen in our lives when we don't have those firm boundaries in place. And so one of the most beautiful things I feel like about working with people with a voice is I feel like it's working with influencers, I feel like has helped to normalize all of us to say, it's not okay to sell a child for sex. And it is kind of a hard topic, I think, for some people to want to talk about. But as you start to see people saying, I'm going to draw this line in the sand and say, it is not okay to do this to a child. And I think that that helps all of us to then say, here's some language, here's some ways to approach it, here's some ways to get involved. And I feel like that's a really important part. Um, you really need all the pieces at the same time to stop human trafficking. You have to... Uh, educate first responders, police officers, people working in hospitals. You have to um, go into the schools in the red light districts and educate teachers. You've got to have people using their voice to say, we've got to get involved. We've got to do something. Then you've got to have people who are there every day with the kids in the homes and you've got to have the resources to make it all happen. So I feel like it really is kind of this collaborative thing. Like my favorite word is together um, because that's how we have to do this. We have to stop human trafficking together. Yeah. It's so crazy to like, I'm, I'm always, I'm just so inspired by the, the idea that, that the, someone a person witnesses something it has this profound effect on them and then they go well this sh this shit can't fly yeah. and, then, and then this whole giant thing is built you know affecting countless lives i just can't can't imagine if we if that was just more of a normal thing of just like nope well that's not okay um so one thing that's really interesting is after i got um after we came and did that festival and, and I became hip to what you guys are doing and involved I started doing research of my own and what's really interesting is I live in Montana it's a very rural state there's only a million people here um but you can't get from the Midwest to the Pacific Northwest without going through it you can't get from the Pacific Northwest to Colorado Arizona New Mexico without going through it and I guess I, I say all that to say what I learned is that Montana itself has a huge human trafficking problem because of that, because of that pipeline of driving and all of the truck stops and all of the, and the statistics are kind of staggering and you, you've given them to me before and we've shared them publicly and stuff, but if you could just share some of those, if you have any on hand or like off the top, um, 
just numbers wise, because I remember when we were doing the last campaign this winter, I remember the you guys had sent me a shirt in the mail with some of the statistics. And I remember reading them and I just started crying was like, this can't be real. Like yeah. this can't, these can't be real numbers. Um, and they are, and it's, it's pretty, pretty insane. So if you could just share with the listeners kind of what, yeah. what we're there's, dealing with. There's 40 million people trapped in human trafficking across the globe. We, and then there's labor trafficking, there's sex trafficking. Um, you know, there's, there's different types. One of the things we're really seeing in the United States is a lot of human smuggling coming across the borders. Um, but what the numbers are coming out, and and this is backed by like um, the United Nations, is that fewer than ten that we're only really reporting fewer than ten percent. And some of the things that make it really hard to get those numbers. So when you're talking about 40 million people, they sound huge. And then to think only 10% of that is really even being recorded. Um, there's a lot of contributing factors that have changed. Globalization. Like the way that our world now has become so global has opened up like one of the negative downsides is that all these trafficking routes have now gotten opened up that we're not these are these are new problems we're facing and i feel like in different sadly at different times in society there's different social problems that kind of go from the back burner to the front burner and this like as the result of globalization, this issue is now on the front burner. And it's something that we all have to really understand that in a hundred years, when people look back on this time period, we think they're gonna be talking about politics or well, definitely COVID will be in there, but they're also gonna look at this as a time of slavery. Just like when we look back in World War II and we see that people were trapped in concentration camps, not everyone in the general population knew about that, but the people who knew, knew, and we all recognize that now. When I go to these home, when I go to these brothels, when I'm on the streets and I'm in the red light districts, there are thousands of people that I'm walking past in some cities that are trapped in and can't leave. There's children trapped that can't leave. And so after these trips, when I come back, sometimes it just feels like I've walked into the midst of a concentration camp. And it's hard to then just come back to normal life and to just feel like, oh, and now, like, now we're talking about like where we're gonna go get ice cream when you've just seen all of this devastation. And I really do feel like the way that you've been getting educated and educating yourself is so important because. This is something that we have to understand is a really pressing problem. And it's happening here in the United States, especially with COVID um, trafficking expanded because and, and really grew. And unfortunately, it really expanded online, which makes it even harder to track in some cases. So I feel like it's something that we just have to understand as hard of an issue as it is to sort of grasp we have to take the time to understand that this is what's happening and we all need to use our voice to stop it. Yes. Yeah. I agree with you. I have seen people at shows. I've just had conversations at the merch booth after shows. Um, you know, the people come over like, Oh, I scanned this QR code and you know, I missed <laughs> the first quarter of the show because I was just reading these statistics and and everyone kind of has the same reaction. I think we live 
like you're saying, there's just an inherent privilege to being in America. And um, there's so many things that we just don't really have to think about. And and I always say, I think we have so much attention on on issues that just aren't really issues, you know, and I come back to the to the line of like, it's easy to contemplate the stars when you have a full stomach. And I think America has a really bad case of that, where we're so focused on these little minuscule things. And yeah, it just makes me want to bang my head against the wall. Cause I'm like, no, there are humans right now trapped being forced to do things they don't want to do being moved when they don't want to be moved, you know, like children, children. Um, I have kids. And, and so I, I guess I just, yeah, it's so, um, it's so important to me to, to let as many people know as I can, because yeah, dude, I look at my children and I thought I, the thought of a, of a child being trapped anywhere they don't want to be is, is beyond me. Um, so can you tell it just a little bit about, um, your first, or maybe not even your first, just kind of, a. you've been so many places, like, I guess. I guess I just want to hear a story of like something that really stood out in all of your international travels and the thing you've seen just to kind of point to what I was just saying of because you know like I remember when I got back from Nepal um I was so blown away by the things that I had never thought about I had never thought about taking a hot shower it was just like well yeah if you get in the shower the water's hot um access to clean water um again the the whole money concept of like what is what, but when you walk around, you know, trafficking is a, is a huge issue in, um, in brothels and in Kathmandu as well. But I was just exposed to so much stuff that, um, I, my little American mind had never even considered that there was billions of human beings on the planet that live in this entire different reality on the planet at the same time as me. Um, so if you could just speak a little bit to that, of just some of your travels and the things that you've that you've witnessed and kind of just paint a picture for what what it is you've seen in these other countries. Yeah, I feel like what you're talking about is is actually I, one of the biggest answers to human trafficking is humanizing people. Yes. Like when I have landed in Ethiopia and it's 11 a.m. on a Tuesday and there's children who have been maimed and they're banging on the window begging and they're in begging rings. They should be in school. And if you could see that child, that same one that's like knocking on the glass and think this child could be a pilot, this child could be a doctor, this child could be a teacher, instead of just this is a whole bunch of numbers that I can't just see past. I think as soon as we start to see a child or a person as human, and I know those are hard words to say, but it's almost like we can glaze over when we see a big issue and just think, well, that's their circumstance. That's the street they were born, like you were saying, the street they were born into. I feel like that helps to humanize the issue. And as soon as you humanize someone, there's something in you that I then think says, I need to take responsibility. I need to do something. Because when you see someone as a person, you want to do something about it. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd say the one case that really impacted me was in 2014 after the Boko Haram kidnapped an entire high school. 276 girls were kidnapped. It's commonly known as the hashtag bring back our girls kidnapping. But just when you stop and you think about 276 children were kidnapped, their school was burned to the ground. You don't hear the teachers talking about it. You don't hear the principals talking about it because they were gone because they'd been tipped off. 
So 276 girls were taken by about 400 men. Um, they showed up, they were like shooting their AK-47s into the air. Um, and if you think about the amount of logistics it would take, even right now, if we were just going to move, you know, about 700 people, that's going to be a ton of logistics. There's going to be, that, that was a well-planned, thought-out operation that didn't just happen. And the world got involved. A lot of people held up the, the piece of paper and that helped. And they said, hashtag bring back our girls. You know, Michelle Obama, like huge people um, in terms of influence held up this piece of paper and yet nothing was done. And I feel like that that's the thing that we need to start to shift. It's yes, we need to take action. Yes, we need to advocate. Yes, we need to bring attention, but we can't just stop there. And so I began working with some of the girls who escaped from Boko Haram from the kidnapping. And um, when we got custody of, of, when we started working with some of them, um, they couldn't read and write. They, um, you know, they had, they were very behind in their education. And now those same girls are um, in university and studying to be doctors and, you know, going, some of them in their honors programs at top universities. And I really believe that when a child has access to education, that you can see them, um, when, when people are given equal access to education, you will actually see who they can really become. And I think that's a very important idea that we need to have is this child plus education equals a world changer. This child without it becomes, a, 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 has a vulnerabilities that, might not make the impact that they actually are capable of making. And I think those are the kinds of things that we need to advocate for. Yeah, I think the thing, like I had pointed to earlier, the thing that's inspiring to me, you know, most of the, the inspiring people on the planet come from, from great adversity. And there's, um, there's a deep knowing that, that makes you want to, help change like your perspective is different when you come from from a lot of darkness um you see the world in a different way um and you see i think the big thing is that you see the possibility and likelihood for change um more so than than someone that that hasn't experienced stuff like that you know whether that's uh, abuse or you know same thing like domestic violence survivors helping other domestic violence survivors i can't talk to a woman as much as I would like to help, I probably could not speak to a woman that's a victim of domestic violence the same way that a woman who was a victim of, of domestic yeah. violence and is now, you know, there's a, there's a connection piece that's, <clears throat> that's so pivotal. Um, and, and, and like I said, I think that's what's so amazing about these work is, you know, not only, yeah, can we have doctors and pilots and stuff like that, but we just have these people that have the availability to, you know, I just remember being young, and if someone were to try to talk to me about um, about my abuse, I couldn't really talk to them. Where I think if someone would have came to me and been like, "Hey, man, I was also severely physically abused by my parents," and I would be like, "Oh, okay, so you know, okay, so I will talk to you." You know, and I I think that's so important. Um, what are you guys working on right now? Like, what's the big push for the 
for the immediate we've been future. doing a lot of work at the border in tijuana so we've got three homes for kids and um we've been going into the there's tent cities at the border with just oh. thousands of people without sanitation i mean you know we're all talking about wearing masks and there's like thousands of people, it's tent after tent after tent. None of these kids are getting education. You know, they're being told to wait to cross the border. It's just, it, it's really heartbreaking. And then when kids make it across the border, they often end up in ICE detention centers. And I just personally feel like whatever your stance is on whether or not people should cross the border, once a child's in, uh, in our care, in the United States, I do feel like we have the responsibility to get that child educated, to provide services. And I feel like that um, that's, we're working on homes, opening more homes. And then also um, we've got a hundred kids in our, living in our care right now, all recovered from human trafficking. And one of the big things that I feel like um, is on the horizon are more, um, we're working more with a lot of local governments here in the United States to make more change. And I feel like it has become something that government officials really care about and government officials are understanding this is a heart cry of people is to see um, human rights preserved and I feel like that is also in our hands to talk to our local government to use our voices because that collective voice really does make a difference. Yeah yeah I agree I think we, we we've seen it time and time again you know you mentioned the, the Boko Haram thing but you know, we can see these things get traction. And I just, um, to me, it's amazing that this issue hasn't had, that it's just not everybody talking about it. Um, yeah, it's it's really ba bananas to me. Um, well, I'm so excited, um, yeah, to continue to work with you. And then especially on this tour, you know, if there's any new materials that we can take out other than what yeah. we have with updated stuff, like we'd love to have it. Like I said, I make it a point every every single show i have it written on my on my monitor so i do not forget to to tell everyone in attendance about what it is you guys are doing and how they can help um so well i'm so grateful that you took the time Thanks. uh to we chat with me answer. thank you yeah well we're we're huge huge fans and supporters and i look forward to to years and years of doing whatever we can you know it's a huge dream of mine to get a go on one of these trips and and see some of this uh with my own eyes so i would love that We'll make that happen. I would happen. I, that is a dream. So that, we'll make that happen. Definitely. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. so much love to you guys. And, and thank you for taking time. And um, yeah, can you just tell everyone where to yeah, find more information? And follow us at, at you heroes. And that's where a lot of our updates are as well. And I'd love to see you pouring into our kids, especially our boys home in Tijuana. I think that would be really special for you and for them. Yeah, well, let's talk and make it happen. I'm off all winter, so we maybe we could make yeah. it happen this year. I'd love that. Okay, awesome. Thanks. All right, you. and I yeah. hope you as well. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Bye. That was Eric agrees with Unlikely Heroes. Um, I'm feeling pretty called to do a solo podcast. Um, just going into tour, I want to talk a little bit about the new record and give context for where I'm at and where this new music lands and what it means to me to be putting it out. Um, so yeah, that's probably what we'll, what we'll do next. Um, new single, by the time you hear this, the new single will be out. So 
Yeah, God bless every single one of you. As always, drink water, be nice to each other, and we'll see you soon.